You know this, I know this, but it is interesting, isn't it, how two people can look at the same situation and see something completely different. Um, For instance, and this is from the diary of a wife as she was journaling about her day. This wife wrote in her journal, Tonight, my husband was acting weird. We had plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so that we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. And when we got home, he just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. And finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt that he was distracted and that his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. Her husband that same day wrote in his journal, Rough day. Lawnmower wouldn't start. Can't figure out why. Two people can look at the same thing and see something very different. Husbands, wives. um, And two people certainly can see Jesus very differently. Even from the very beginning, as he's conducting his ministry and people are getting to know him, there was just incredibly different views and ideas and opinions about Jesus. There was a small group that saw Jesus as a um, a renegade, renegade rabbi, as an enemy of tradition and orthodox religion, as someone who needed to be stopped, these people hated Jesus. There was a much larger group of people who very much admired Jesus. These are the crowds, the multitudes that are are growing as we watch Jesus conduct His ministry. They saw miracles that that they couldn't believe. Uh, They heard teaching that that was revolutionary and challenged them and was, was interesting and engaging. Uh, they saw a, a leader who led with love, who treated people who were normally outsiders on the margins, treated with disdain or even, even unclean. Jesus was interacting with them, touching them, uh, eating meals with them. And they, they admired Jesus. They were big fans of Jesus. And then there was another group that was much smaller than that one. This was a group of people who absolutely loved Jesus. They staked their lives on Jesus. They called Him Lord. They devoted themselves to Him and His teaching. And they had made this decision that no matter what happened in the weeks and years that would come they would be true to Jesus. They were His followers. And it's interesting when you think about the differences between these groups, the fans, the crowds, the admirers. Admirers and fans, they respect and and they applaud 
people. A lot of people, for example, admire Navy SEALs. A lot of people, probably most of us, but very few are willing to follow the way of the Navy SEALs, right? To do everything that, that they have to do to become who they are. Certainly, very few are willing to follow them into harm's way and put their lives very much in jeopardy. Everyone admires Nelson Mandela, but very few are willing to go and spend decades in prison with Nelson Mandela. The crowds admire Mother Teresa, but how many are actually willing to sell everything, move to Calcutta, and spend the rest of their lives rubbing elbows with, with the destitute and the broken? There's a big difference between the fan and the follower. And in the ministry of Jesus, as you see him conducting uh, this ministry of healing and this teaching ministry, you see these these crowds begin to swell, begin to grow as his notoriety spreads. And many admire him, many applaud him, many gather to pay homage to Jesus. And by the time he preached his, his famous marquee sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were innumerable. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, you, right before he begins to preach those Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Eugene Peterson translates like this, Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds. What leader wouldn't want to draw huge crowds, right? I mean, they looked up to Jesus, they admired Jesus, they hung on every word that Jesus said. And here's the funny thing about how Jesus responded to all of that. He wasn't after crowds. He wasn't interested in crowds. Jesus wasn't particularly interested in growing his fan base. He was looking for followers. He didn't want crowds. He wanted the committed. And he talked about it, in fact, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about, you know, there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. Floods of people are going to go through the wide gate. You go through the narrow gate, he said. You go through the narrow gate. He said to the crowds, he said, there's a wide road, a 635, and there's a narrow lane. Go through the narrow lane. Go through the narrow lane. Wide is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way to eternal life, he said. Jesus was always saying things like this to these crowds that gathered, demanding a decision. Would they remain fans or would they become followers? And he wants every person. He wants me. He wants, you. He wants us to make a decision about him as well. Where do we stand on that question? So, so many interested in Jesus, curious about Jesus, involved in his ministry to some extent. Uh, others went all in with Jesus. You know, someone once said, uh, the difference, you got to think about this one a little bit, the difference between getting involved and being committed is kind of like the difference between ham and eggs. Have you heard this one? Uh, in order for your breakfast to happen, the chicken had to be involved, but the pig had to be committed, right? <laughs> Different level of commitment there with the chicken and the ham on that one. And those who admire Jesus, some of them choose to follow Jesus. 
Some of them choose not to. Um, and those admirers may say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I call Jesus Lord. I, I go to church sometimes, read my Bible sometimes. Um, it's interesting when you think about that kind of... A lot of leaders would be happy with that, right? I mean, I've got your support. You like me. Um, that, you know, in this kind of political season, so many leaders would just be thrilled with, with having your support. Jesus wasn't interested in anybody's support. He cared about their soul. And so he talked very openly and very honestly. In fact, some of the things he said, quite frankly, drove the crowds away, didn't they? And one of them might have been right here. I don't know. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. To this group who was assembled to hear him, who admired him so much, he said to them, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. <laughs> Not, nothing subtle about that. Um, so lots of people, Jesus says, are going to call me Lord, are going to declare, I, I believe in Jesus. He says, among those people, there will even be some folks who do some pretty amazing-looking things. They're prophesying. They're teaching in my name. Uh, they're casting out demons in my name. They're working wonders in my name. And I will say to them, I don't know you. Because they weren't actually following. He tells them this parable to kind of move forward with that idea. You're familiar with this parable, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand on the beach. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus is just looking them in the eyes and challenging these assumptions that people were making about what it means to belong to Jesus, what it means to be a, a Christian, right? Well, I love Jesus. I think Jesus is pretty great. And so before Jesus launches into this flood ministry, he makes this exasperated statement. He's like, look, you, you call me Lord. You say, Lord, Lord Jesus. And then you ignore what I teach? 
You say, I belong to Jesus. And then you don't act upon what I model for you? He said, it's like these two builders, right? Um, one makes this decision to build, essentially build on, on sh- very shallow soil, sand. Uh, the other one to build on something more solid, more permanent. Both homes are going to have to stand up against some, some bad weather from time to time, but only one of those homes is going to be strong enough to pull through. What I want you to notice as we start unpacking this parable this morning on the outline there are some things that both builders actually had in common. I mean, for most of the things that these two builders were doing, they had in common, right? For example, the two builders in the parable Jesus tells, they had the same dream. I mean, hey, they may have even had the same blueprint for their house. You know, I want a four-door house, two bathrooms, I want the kitchen. It could have been the same blueprint for that matter. They both wanted to build a house. They both had this dream. They both had this vision. And it's a good reminder, I think, that so many people out there share the same basic dreams. I mean, we really do. There are some differences. But, I mean, I did a wedding yesterday for uh, Susan McClendon and for Randall Baumiller. We love Susan very much. They're up in North Dakota now, but we did the wedding yesterday. And I was just thinking, as they're both coming down, they're standing on that stage together, and they're exchanging those vows Everyone at that moment, I don't care if you're a Christian or an atheist or a Buddhist or a whatever, everyone at that moment is thinking, not, we're probably going to get divorced in a couple of years. No! Everybody's thinking, I found the love of my life. We're going to spend eternity together. They have that dream. Everybody has that dream when they get married, right? Um, Everybody has this dream for their kids. We want to see them grow up and be successful and be strong and be independent. We want to see them do well. Everyone has that dream. Everyone has this dream for their financial situation that they'll have enough, be able to provide for the needs of the family, be able to pay that mortgage payment, be able to have enough to one day retire. We share the same dreams, don't we? In the parable, certainly both builders did. They also shared the same storms. They both faced the same storms. I mean, downpours of rain, gale force winds. After the rain falls, of course, that water starts coming up and causes even more damage than the initial rain, rain and wind. And Jesus is not talking about meteorology, right? He's talking about life. He's talking about life. Everyone faces storms. The person who is committed to Jesus Christ 100%, they're going to face storms. The person who doesn't care a thing about Jesus, going to face storms. Everybody does. Some of you have. All of us will. Some of you are right now facing storms. Maybe it was a recent doctor visit that one of your loved ones had, and they got some bad news, bad diagnosis. And so now you are looking forward at this forecast of some pain. Not knowing how it's going to end. Financial storms that go with any kind of serious medical condition. How are we going to pay for this? Worries about 
is he going to be able to continue to work or is he going to lose his job because of this health situation? You know, it's tough. There are a lot of different kinds of storms that we face, aren't there? Um, Generally, we don't get some kind of Pete Delkis that tells us, by the way, next month you're going to face financial ruin. Or in November, your kid's going to get addicted to drugs. We don't get that. We don't know what's coming. We just know storms are coming in life. Our city, Dallas, wasn't ready for what happened a week and a half ago. I didn't see it coming. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Five good men, brave officers, killed while they were doing their duty. While they were serving the protesters and protecting the city. And now their families are in this storm of grief. Storm of what happens next. Storm of why did that have to happen? Nice, France. I mean, just read the news. Storms all the time. Of course, a lot of the storms for us are personal. Much more personal. Job loss. Company you've been working for for years is going to downsize and you're gone. Relational storms, marriage issues, rebellious teenager issues. I mean, just storms. Jesus says, look, there are going to be storms in life. And uh, that's one of the few assurances we actually get. You're going to face storms. The weather report today may be sunny and bright. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know. And both builders in this parable, both builders faced storms. Neither was exempt from the trials of life. Whether you like Jesus or love Him, whether you are a fan or a follower, whether you are good or wicked, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are a believer or an agnostic or an atheist, at some point, that storm siren is going to sound. And where are you going to run for shelter? How about this? And maybe you've never thought about this, but as I'm reading this parable, I'm thinking, you know, one other thing they had in common, they lived in the same neighborhood. And you're thinking, wait, I've, I've read that parable dozens. I've heard this a lot. Jesus never says they lived in the same zip code, right? Yeah, he does. They were facing the same storms. When that storm siren sounded, it was going to hit both of them. They were close by. And it makes me think about, about how, how you can think, be in the same neighbor, neighborhood theologically, like you can have the same basic beliefs or the same doctrinal ideas or, or the, you vote for the same candidates or whatever, but, but there's something different. There's something different. And Jesus tells us what it is. He says a fool, look, it's not that a fool lacks information. Not that a fool doesn't know the truth. He says, A fool is someone, no, a fool is someone, Jesus says, who hears the word. They know what I teach. They've got the same information as the person who's not a fool. They just don't do anything with it. They're in the same neighborhood, hearing the same thing, believing a lot of the same stuff, and they're not doing anything with it. That's the fool, Jesus says. So there's really so much these two builders have in common, right? But Jesus says there is something that separates them, and it is when you get below the surface, what are they building on? What is their foundation? So different foundations, different foundations. 
I have a foundation. You have a foundation. Everybody in here has a foundation. Everybody has a foundation. On what are your choices based? How do you make decisions? What's your foundation? What do you turn to when you've got to take a fork in the road? Is it about you? Is it about your happiness? Is it about what will uh, bring you the least pain and the most joy? For a lot of people, it is. That's the foundation. Is it some credo, some philosophy, some value system maybe that you have adopted from someone else or some other place or maybe it's something you've kind of put together for yourself that works well for you. You have a foundation. Maybe it's your career. There are people, sadly enough, who that's it. I mean, if they're going to make a decision, a choice in life, it's all about does this move me ahead in my career? Does this get me to the next rung of the ladder? That's their foundation. For some, a lot of people, it's a person. Miss, Mr. Wright, Miss Wright, you know, I found him. Everything is going to center around this person, this relationship. That's what it's all about for me. That's the foundation. Everybody's got one. And with each decision that I make, I'm building. Which each, which each choice you make, you're building. Even when a person chooses not to make a decision, even when you choose to delay a decision, you are building. I was thinking about with the Olympics coming up in Rio, I was thinking about, you know, there are athletes who, who are looking forward to those Olympics and competing in those Olympics, and you may have thought, well, I have always dreamed of competing in an Olympics one day, competing for my nation hearing the national anthem played as I stand and receive my gold medal. And you may be thinking, well, maybe, you know, the Olympics haven't started yet, maybe Rio. No, no, you made the decision. You've already made that decision. When you decided not to make a decision three or four years ago to train, to wake up early, to change your diet, to move to the training center in Colorado or Oklahoma City or wherever, when you chose that or chose not to do that, you made your choice, right? Delaying a decision or not making a decision is making a decision. Deciding to put off becoming a Christian. Well, that means you're deciding not to be a Christian today. Okay? Um, saying maybe I'll come to Christ someday means you're saying no to Jesus today. It's a decision. More broadly, knowing the will of God. You know, in this area of my life or that area of life, knowing it and choosing not to act on it, Jesus says, that's a decision. Decision to build on sand. But it's a decision. So here's the question that I believe this story just begs for us to ask. This foundational question is this. Will I embrace Jesus as having authority to rule in my life? And will I, by faith, daily follow his word? Is Jesus giving you information? All right? Is Jesus uh, offering his opinion, making suggestions? Or is Jesus your Lord? That's what we're talking about here. Very different things. And the Sermon on the Mount finishes, and remember that crowd reaction, right? Verses 28 and 29. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. 
For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The original word here for authority is ekousia. It is dominion. It, it means Jesus didn't just interpret. Jesus didn't just talk about the Bible. Jesus spoke as one who had divine jurisdiction. Divine authority. When Jesus spoke, he spoke as a lawmaker. When he taught, he wasn't just offering opinions and takes on different stories in the Bible or stuff. He taught with ekousia. He taught with this authority to deliver the final word on any subject. And the crowds weren't used to that. That's not how their rabbis taught. It's not how the scribes conducted their classes. And it blew them away. And Jesus actually makes, he knows this is important, right? <laughs> I mean, this is not an arrogant thing. This is not a Jesus trying to show off thing. Jesus knows that we need to recognize his authority because Jesus knows the storms are headed our way and we're not going to make it unless we build on him. And so Jesus says in final words there, earthly ministry, Matthew 28, verse 18. You've heard these words before. Jesus proclaims, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Jesus proclaims authority to forgive sins. Authority to heal any and all diseases. Authority to take a dead person and raise them to life. Authority of his words to judge at the end of time. And so here's the next thing I want you to think about, this difference maker. The issue of authority is not only a quality of life question, but a question of survival. And I, and I say this because, look, and we talk about this some, how Jesus can help your marriage. I believe he's helped mine. Uh, we've talked about how principles that you see in God's word can help you find financial peace the shalom of God in different parts of your life. We, we talk about that. But fundamentally, what Jesus is about is not life enhancement, okay? He's not about helping you get an edge, right? Jesus is ultimately about survival for you, about preparing you for eternity that he knows is coming. So write this down. Jesus wants me to thrive in this life. Yes, he does. This is the preview, let's call it. And Jesus wants me to survive judgment and share eternity with him. That's the main attraction. We are not saying this life is not important. We are not saying what you do here is not important. We are not saying that social justice and the issues that we face today are not important. What we're saying is Jesus is always pointing to the main attraction, which is not your 40 years here, or your 70 years here on earth, or your two months here on earth, or your 102 years here on earth. Eternity is coming. And that's the main attraction. And Jesus is doing everything he can to get us ready for that. Hear my words, Jesus says. Follow my words. 
I'm not interested in you being my fan. I'm interested in you being my follower, Jesus says. James 1.22 echoes this. The brother of Jesus, James, writes these words. Do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and you do nothing, you're fooling yourselves. It's a challenging story, Jesus told, right? About those foundations. It's challenging. And Jesus is putting this challenge before us. Will you trust, really trust me? Right? Will you build on that each day? Will you center, orbit your decisions, your choices, your relationships around me? Will I be the foundation of all of that? Or not? Two people. Two people who may look very much the same, who may live in the same neighborhood, who may vote for the same candidates. Two people may see Jesus in very different ways. How do you see Jesus? Is He your Lord and Savior? Is He the one you have pledged to follow until the end? Are you building your life on Him? It may start today with this confession, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. And it may be marked by your baptism in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if that's the choice that you need to make, if you're ready to build on that foundation today, we celebrate that. Maybe you just need prayers. I know there's a lot going on these days, a lot of people hurting. However you need to respond to the Lord, we invite you to do that as we stand and worship now.